Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoy the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. If you turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Boy, 1 Timothy has just flown by. We're already in the last chapter. 1 Timothy chapter 6, and um, we'll be beginning that chapter. Um, As I come to this passage, I was a little bit uh, conflicted about exactly how to approach it. We have basically one and a half verse that talks to slaves, um, and... We have. I, I didn't want to just focus an entire sermon on that because we dealt with the same concept basically when we were in Ephesians, and we felt with, dealt with the same concept basically when we were in First Peter. Both of those had kind of household codes that talk about how we are to live in different relationships, like uh, parent-child relationships and. Um, husband and wife relationships and also slave and master relationships in both of those. And here we we see a similar uh, kind of of passage. Uh, So uh, today we're going to briefly touch on that first kind of verse and a half. And then the rest of the text we're going to look at through verse 10 is a warning about false teachers um, and and, and one of the telltale signs of these false teachers teachers is an inordinate desire for money. So let's go ahead and take our, a look at our text. Let all who are under a yoke as a bondservant regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the grounds that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine that does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and quarrels about which uh, produce about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. 
It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. May we feed on it tonight. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Lord, help us to be people who are discerning. Lord, who know what good teaching is from the Bible and we know how to avoid false teaching and false teachers. And Father, help us not to be enticed and lured in by riches or the desire for riches. Help us to be content in whatever circumstance that we are in. Help us to be godly with true godliness. Father, we love you. Give me strength and grace as I preach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll begin by by looking at this first kind of verse and a half. I say verse and a half because verse 2 kind of comes down and and starts this new section about teaching. Um, But verse 1 says, Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants. It's talking about slaves again. And like I said, we've had other passages where we've dealt with the concept of slavery. Now, slavery in the New Testament era, it was very common. Um, I I don't remember the exact figure, but like probably most people in the ancient world, in the Roman Empire, were slaves. Um, and, and while slavery, the actual owning of another person, as an, of another human being, is wicked and evil, it is a consequence of the fall. It is not something that uh, um, Paul or any of the apostles or Jesus intended at that time to start some kind of a social revolution about during the New Testament era. It's only been within the last couple of hundred years where we finally um, abolished that. And even now, there are still slaves in many part of the wor- parts of the world, whether it be legal in some parts of the world or illegal even here. But Paul, as well as Peter and other, other, even, even Jesus, uh, he was, whenever he spoke of slavery, he was not... Um, condoning it. He was not approving of it. Instead, he was was just not... That wasn't his mission. His mission was not to start some kind of a social upheaval in in the years of the early church. And so, we have a world where most people were slaves. And so, these new Christians that were coming to Christ, how were they to live under this economic system. And Paul here tells slaves who who are believers should regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. That's strange. That seems strange to us. I mean, that's the same kind of language he uses about widows before. A widow's should, in verse uh, 3 of chapter 5, Honor widows who are truly widows. It's talking about honoring widows. 
Those who are in the church who've, who've lost any other um, kind of means of support, the, the church is supposed to support them. And, and then it goes on and, and says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. That's considered worthy and double honor. Those same words. And here, slaves are to consider their masters worthy of honor. That seems strange to us. And, and, and I don't think um, that, that Paul was, was just saying, well, you just need to you know, get with the world's system of things. But for the sake of the gospel, so that the gospel would not be slandered, Paul is saying this is how you act in your situation where you're, where you're at. He says um, that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. The reason why they're to honor their masters, the first reason he gives is so that the gospel is not slandered and so that the name of God is not slandered. Verse 2, those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the grounds that they are brothers. Here, Paul gives basically an undercutting of the whole system of slavery there, there in this verse. He says that the master and the slave, if they're both believers, are brothers. Not a, a kind of a, a hierarchical system, but they're equal as brothers in Christ. And you can look at the early church and some of the records that they have of the early church where slaves actually oftentimes in the church would have a higher rank within the church than even their masters did. You find that. And it turns the world's system on its head. Rather, they must serve all the better since, they, since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. So another reason that Paul gives that slaves should give honor to their masters, particularly believing masters, is because if they've got a believing master, then they're benefiting their brother or their sister in Christ. That seems strange to us. That seems odd to us. But yet, I think there are principles here. No matter what our station in life, whether we're um, rich or poor, black or white, what young or old, we regard one another as brothers and sisters and give one another the due honor that each one deserves. And now I'll move on. Teach and urge these things. We hear this ringing throughout the letter of First, P of First Timothy. Teach and urge urge these things. In the very beginning, in chapter 1, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. That's, that's part of Timothy's charge there in Ephesus was he was to urge people not to teach any different doctrine. And uh, later we see that... that uh, uh, part of the qualifications for a pastor is that they are to teach, be able to teach. And we see the same kinds of, uh, kinds of things here in chapter 4 when it says, um, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of, Je of Christ Jesus being trained in the... You know, put these things before the brothers. It's teaching. It's lifting up the Scriptures. 
And here, the same thing coming back around again and again and again. Teach and urge these things. And what is the these things? We can, we can look at that in different, well, different respects. One, it could be everything that he's already said here in the immediate context whenever he's talking about honoring widows and honoring uh, pastors and what he, he says about the, the relationship between slaves and masters and particularly believing masters. That can be what he's teaching and urging. But also it could be it could include what comes after when he's warning about false teachers who will, who will bring up division and dissension and all these kinds of things. But I think actually we can extend this to the whole book. There's just an emphasis throughout the whole book of 1 Peter, uh, not 1 Peter, on 1 Timothy on life and doctrine. About a doctrine that, that is one that produces a good life, and vice versa. Timothy is told, watch your life and doctrine. And here again, Paul is telling Timothy, teach and urge these things. He says, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and doesn't agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. Just like Paul said you know, to the Galatian church, he was surprised that that uh, this Galatian church so quickly after he'd left them had abandoned the gospel for another gospel which was no gospel at all. There's, there's so many things out there competing for what the true gospel is. Paul here warns us, and, and, and you know, Jesus warned us, beware of, of, of uh, wolves among the sheep. Here, we are to be careful, to be watchful of anyone who teaches something different than what accords with the sound word, accords with the sound words of Jesus and accords with godliness. Good teaching will produce godliness. Good teaching will produce godliness. And uh, what you see... Uh, it does not necessarily mean that somebody who's orthodox and dots every I and crosses every T and everything is going to automatically be godly. You've maybe heard of the concept of a dead orthodoxy where it's all about keeping straight to uh, creeds and confessions and everything and you, you, you can rattle it off by memory exactly what those things are, but there's no life change. That's dead. That's worthless too. A true teaching, true doctrine will produce godliness. And if it doesn't produce godliness, and if this teaching is different from what Jesus and the apostles taught, he's puffed up with conceit. He's all about himself. He's all about trying to gain a hearing for himself says he understands nothing. He may have what appears in the world's eye to be wisdoms, but he understands nothing. Another description of this false teacher, he has an unhealthy 
craving for controversy and quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and depraved of the truth. Almost sounds like some churches we've been in, huh? (laughs) Where there's a constant friction among people, where there's a constant um, uh, envy and dissension and slander going on, sometimes even in the church. And it ought not to be that way. When you've got that kind of thing going on, dissension and slander, there's probably a theology that's at the root of it. There's something wrong in the doctrine that allows that to happen. And then we turn to social media. And we see arguing. And it almost seems like people have a craving for that. A craving for arguing and and being divisive and all of these things. And they say, well, I'm just contending for the faith, right? I'm contending for the faith. But it seems like they get a joy out of it. I get a joy out of of starting the next theological fight. There's something wrong with that. We need to be careful. And it can be it can be difficult. It can be difficult because sometimes, you know, you do have to take a stand for the truth. And sometimes that does mean getting into a theological argument. But that not, should not be something that we crave for, something that we get excited about, and something we enjoy doing. It ought to be something that we do because we have to. Because the truth is on the line. Not because we just get a kick out of it. Here, Paul here says, evil suspicions, constant friction among the people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. They have a carnal mind, a worldly mind. They may may have an appearance of godliness, but their mind is depraved and they're deprived of the truth. It's like they're malnourished of the truth. Imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Here again, I want to point... Well, it's easy for anyone to fall into this. But the example that I'm thinking of right now is some of the... If you... If you I don't know how much everyone else is involved in social media and things like that, but if you see these, these discernment blogs that are... Um, um, they, they, a lot of times they come up with headlines that are just about getting clicks so that they can get money. And they'll be making accusations about this person or that person and all about getting clicks so that they can have financial gain. And it's not just that. The idea that if you you live a godly life, then God's going to bless you. Tell that to the apostles who were martyred. 
I don't think Paul's point here is that everyone needs to embrace a vow of poverty. But at the same time, when it gets to later, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Verse 6, But godliness is great. Is, I'm sorry, godliness with contentment is great gain. It's not some kind of how, how, how godliness uh, or the appearance of godliness is going to gain us financially or, or material in any way, but godliness with contentment. Paul said, I've learned how to be content with little or with much. When I don't have anything. Or when I've got a lot. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Our treasure isn't here. Got a gold ring on your finger when you get to heaven? That's just pavement, right? <laughs> godliness, with, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can't take anything out of the world. I think here it may be a re- reference to Job or, or, uh, or a similar uh, teaching. Um, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord take away, takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We brought nothing into this world. We can take nothing out. You'll never find a hearse on a trailer hitch. Uh, no, the other way around. You'll never find a, tra- a hearse with a trailer hitch. Although I've seen a picture that kind of blows that sermon illustration out of the water. <laughs> Have you seen that before? <laughs> Paul says, if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. I like the way Mike puts it sometimes when we've talked two hots and a cot, or is it three hots and a cot? Three hots and a cot. And be content. That's enough. I don't need everything else. It's all just stuff. With food and clothing, be content. Verse 9. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. I think he's getting our attention saying it's dangerous to want and desire riches. It's dangerous. They can be useful things. God gives us things to bless us, to bless others, but they can be dangerous when, when that unhealthy craving for more stuff, more stuff begins to grow in our hearts. He says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Um, in the Greek there, the word kinds of isn't really isn't there, but it's a plural evil. So that's why, why they're interpreting it that way. Uh, the love of money is a root of all evils. Well, how do you... How do you understand evils? I think it's kinds of, every different kind of evil. The love of money, how can that be the root of all kinds of evil? Well, the love of money can cause you to worship other things besides God. So there's the first commandment and the second commandment. The love of money might cause you to break the Sabbath. Right? 
The love of money might cause you to steal. I mean, that's, that's direct, isn't it? The love of money might cause you to murder. The love of money might cause you to covet. Of course, by definition. The love of money might cause you not to honor your parents. Think of what Jesus said. You, know, uh, you, can, you, you declare what you have, korban, that is a gift of God, so that you uh, have an excuse not to take care of your parents when they're old. That's the love of money causing us not to, to honor our father and mother. You can think all of the Ten Commandments. And the love of money might be something that leads us to break any one of them. The love of money is the root of all evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith. What did Jesus say in the, in the parable of the sower? Right? He goes and he throws the sower, he's sowing the word, he throws some on, on the good uh, good soil and some on the path and some on the stony soil and some on the thorny soil. And uh, the thorny soil, right? The thorny soil, the, what that turns out being is the, it grows up quickly, but yet the cares of this world and the desires for riches choke out what started. A person may start out well, may believe the gospel, or give, at least give an appearance of believing the gospel, and then whenever things start to look south on them because of their, of their bank account, when people decide they're not going to do business with them anymore because they've started following Jesus, or whatever you can imagine, and this love of money causes them just to walk away from the faith. and pierce themselves with many pains. When they walk away for the sake of money, they're forsaking the fountain of life for cisterns that hold no water. They're falling on their own sword. So in summary, We are to give honor to who honor is due. And we are to regard one another as believers, as brothers and sisters. We are to keep watch for false teachers, for those who seem to revel and enjoy controversy and conceit. We're to watch out for those who teach a different doctrine, who proclaim what is a different gospel from the one that we've received from Jesus and the apostles. And we are to watch and guard our hearts that the desire for money and riches don't drag us away from following Jesus. But the good news, He holds us. He holds us. When we have truly put our faith in Jesus, we may be tempted. We may have all the same temptations as the world around us, but He holds us 
fast and He will never let us go. Amen? We are not saved based on our ability to keep the law. We're saved because we come to Jesus and we say, I couldn't do it. And so when we recognize these things in our heart, instead of knuckling under and and trying to to fight it with our own willpower, we, we say, Jesus, I recognize there's some love of money in my heart. Lord, I give that to You. I give that to You. And You can take care of it. Your blood washes it clean. We don't want to be driven by guilt. We don't want to be driven by a desire to make ourselves godly. We want to be driven by the cross. We want to be driven to confess our sins and bring them to Him and He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen? Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.com or you can like us on Facebook.